0: this week on Writers Inc.
1: Goblin's the book that got me my lawyer and manager, and then with them is when I brought up let's rewrite Bird Box to, to shop to Kristen. So So Goblin was actually in a sense the, the book that opened any door for me.
0: Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author the days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone if you want to succeed in today's publishing world you need to understand every aspect of the business editing formatting marketing contracts it all starts with a good book then the real work begins join international best-selling author jd barker and indie powerhouse jay thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business the publishing world is changing adapting Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session.
2: This is Writer's Inc. J.D., you were on a road trip.
3: I went on a road trip. I got my, my second COVID shot and I hopped in the car and I drove to Tennessee. Oh my God! <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure Did you
0: see him. He <laughs> didn't invite me. Unfortunately, he was he was three hours from me and didn't. No, nah, it came
3: it came up out of the blue. So my my wife and I we you know we own a lot of real estate. That's kind of our, our side gig. Um, and and. You know we've really gotten burned during this this virus because a lot of renters right now aren't paying rent uh, but we still have to pay, pay them pick the mortgage payments and the utilities and like I've got a couple families where I'm folding you know like covering all of their bills because they can't afford to do it but they're good tenants you know so like I don't want to evict anybody and, and we can't right now anyway even if we wanted to uh, but my wife kind of circled around and she's like you know I think we should look at vacation rentals um, you know, that's obviously short term and it's, you know, it, it doesn't dry up quite a, in, the, in the same fashion. So she started focusing on different things. We were looking at the beach down in Florida because we're both from there and, you know, you have to deal with hurricanes and, you know, the prices of the you know, like a beach condo are just insane. Um, you know, there's only a couple of months out of the year where you can really rent them because the other time it's just too hot and they just, they, people don't come to Florida. Um, so there was a lot of negatives there and, and she started checking just um, various podcasts and she, she stumbled into the idea of Gatlinburg, um, which I have never been to Gatlinburg before I've been to Memphis and Nashville, but you know, like Gatlinburg, I don't even think I've flown over, you know, let alone actually (laughs) stopped in. Um, but it's, it's, it's like, um, it's hard to explain. It's, it's sort of like Disney world. Like it's got that kind of vibe, but it's got Dollywood. Um, and, and like, you know, the, the streets are, um, you know, just lined with the same types of things you see in Orlando and it's a huge tourist Mecca. So she found a cabin down there and we, we were all cash buyers. So we had to move on it pretty quick. So we, like they came on the market. We put an offer in like an hour later. Um, and we got confirmation that we got it like an hour after that. So within two hours it, it was ours. Uh, but when you're a cash buyer, like you have to do certain things in order to, to beat out the competition. So we, we came in, you know, obviously all cash, um, no inspection, no appraisal, no, none of those things, you know, literally sight unseen. I, I still have to this day have not been inside of this cabin. Um, so but I, I wanted to see the area because I was more concerned with you know, where, where is it and you yeah. know I just got my second COVID shot, my car is all gassed up in the garage. I'm like, I'm going. So I hopped in the car and 15 hours there. I left last Friday morning, like around seven in the morning got there that night, um, toured the area with my real estate agent on Saturday, and then drove back on Sunday. So got got that road trip bug out of out of my system. I I, I almost feel
0: like (laughs) I almost feel like you did like you called it Disney World. But the like and I get what you're saying, because there's Dollywood and there's like downtown Gatlinburg. But then like when you get out to the cabins and stuff, you are secluded and there's like nothing around you for a lot of the cabins. Yeah. So it's like that's the part I like about Gatlinburg. Well, Personally.
3: see, this, this is why I wanted to see it because, you know, like there's a lot of different things in Gatlinburg, you know, even from a, a rental yeah. standpoint. So our, our cabin is actually in a development of cabins. There's miniature golf uh, okay. there at the development. There's, you know, an indoor pool, an outdoor pool. Um, the cabin itself has a pool in, in the, in the cabin, like an indoor one. Um, but like, it's a little tiny community. So like, you know, if, if you tell people you're going to stay in a cabin in Tennessee, like this is, you know, you're not really staying in a cabin in the mountains, like in ours anyway. I mean, it still has yeah, a lot Yeah, because there are a
0: stuff. lot out there like that where uh, you your right. neighbors are pretty far away and it's pretty secluded
3: yeah and, and I look I looked at a bunch of those too with the real estate agent because I wanted to get a feel for that and you know for me like I don't like it because I don't really like heights and you know like those roads are like four feet wide and you know like it just it, it was just scary you know like I, I didn't like it but people do rent those but like you know, it's a very different um different thing um, and also there were some fires there um, like there was one cabin yeah. that I looked at it, it was almost nine hundred thousand dollars had a fantastic view um, but you know and from the pictures that you know it, it looked looked like a, a great idea. And then I went and actually physically looked at it. And right in front of it, like on the other side of the street, built into the hill, is a foundation from a house that used to be there. You know, So right now, this particular cabin has a tremendous view, but sooner or later, somebody's going to build another house up where that foundation was, and it's going to block the view of, of this cabin. Um, so from an investor standpoint, you know, those are the kind of things that you, you want to watch for. So I just made a, a ton of notes, because knowing my wife, she's going to want to pick up a
2: couple of these. But um, yes,
3: yeah, so we've got our first mountain cabin. I've got my first road trip out of the way, and
2: I'm back at my desk. Nice, man. So w- when do you go back to build the moonshine still? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if I do that, I would
3: th- I think would actually do it here, like right right out in my garage. Through what the was home. the
0: what, So I haven't I haven't been to Gatlinburg since everything, Ben, but I've heard some stuff. Were you surprised by the the way people were out in public? As far that, as like that masks was, and stuff?
3: That was very weird just in general because, you know, I, I left from New Hampshire. So in New Hampshire, we still had a mask mandate. So if you were outside any kind of public place, you had to wear a mask. And then literally every time that I stopped for gas or, you know, to, to get something to eat or whatever along that road trip, the rules were different. You know, like there were places where nobody was wearing a mask. There were other places where everybody was wearing a mask. Um, Gatlinburg and, and Tennessee in general seemed like it was very laxed. You know, I, I ate breakfast at Denny's and nobody was wearing a mask inside. Every yeah. table was, was packed. Um, the streets Were the of employees? Uh, like half of them. Not, not yeah, all of them. It's, and a, a lot of I'm them were sorry. doing the chin thing, too, where, the, you know, they were just kind of wearing it that, their Yeah, neck. the
0: virtue signaling. Yeah.
3: <laughs> So, you know, I'm I'm totally vaccinated so I didn't really care but like just, yeah. you know, seeing seeing the different dynamics depending on where you were, you know, even stopping at a rest stop, you know, watching the different people, you know, come and go, you know, like this family is completely masked up, masked up and, and this family over here is not and they're running into each other at the vending machine. It's cra- crazy crazy dynamic, but well, gallon, it's fu- g- it's gallon, funny
0: here too because I live about 15 minutes outside Nashville. And when you go into Nashville, if you go to a restaurant or something, most restaurants are still acting like it's like we're in quarantine from last year where they have like shields up and stuff. But then you get out my way and like, I mean a lot of the restaurant workers aren't even wearing them anymore. It's like that different just from like 15 minutes outside town. So I was just I was wondering what kind of shock you were going to see when you came and saw some of that. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was honestly it was just the trip down that really really got yeah. me cuz like you know once I I was in Gallenberg in that area I just kind of followed, you know, what everybody else was doing, yeah. which was literally no mask. Yeah. Um but you know prior to that every time I stepped out of my car I didn't know what the current, you know, situation was. So I just threw my mask on and half the time I ended up taking it off, you know, when I realized I was the only one wearing one and you just kind of, kind of feel it out. Um, but the streets of Gatlinburg were packed. The tourists were, were out, you know, they were having fun. So you
0: you definitely got a cool place. It's definitely a party house. When I, when I go to Gatlinburg, my, my rule for getting a cabin is I got to be able to get naked in the hot tub and not disturb anybody around me. (laughs) I can't do that at your place. TMI. Yeah. Yeah. Zach is, Zach is <laughs> no longer invited. I, I knew Jay would like me saying that. <laughs>
3: Zach is no longer invited to the Barker Cabin in the woods.
0: <laughs> so, Jay, housekeeping.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on from that. Uh, yeah, we we uh, want to, as always, give a nice shout out to our wonderful sponsors over there at Kobo Writing Life. So, if you are looking to publish wide and take advantage of monthly promotional opportunities. And do all of that without any exclusivity. Make sure you check out Tara and her friends over at KoboWritingLife.com. And uh, this week, we have uh, a pretty calm, sedated, boring (laughs) guest. So we're going to have to apologize ahead of time, right, J.D.? This, this guy is like energy in a bottle. Um, <laughs> it,
3: it's Josh Mallerman. For those of you who haven't figured that one out yet. Um, always fun to talk to. All, always at always, you know, tuned in at number at 11, you know, 120%. Like, I, I don't know where all that energy comes from. It, him and my toddler would, would get along great because, you know, where she can't watch TV without, you know, doing laps around the living room and jumping up and down on the couch. I'm pretty sure Josh does the exact same thing. So with, without wasting any more time, here he is, Josh Mallerman.
1: Ballerman. what's happening
2: how you doing man
1: good your place looks good
2: thanks i uh I, i switched some things around i got a new lighting rig you know trying to up my video game a little bit
1: yeah, it looks good, and it looks like the, did you repaint the wall in the back or something? I just remember a white background from before.
2: Yeah, it's it's the, I have my desk on the other side of the room, so you didn't oh, see okay. that wall before. So.
1: <laughs> so this was here all along. You could have been using this.
2: I could have been, yeah, I could have had this set the whole time, right? <laughs>
1: Uh, that's funny i'm making fun of that but i meanwhile have an amazing bookcase here a whole like shelves of records over there a coffin bookcase here and all i'm using behind me is this dumb mask on a speaker
2: you have a coffin bookcase and it's not in your shot
1: oh come on man (laughs) yeah that should be included somehow right (laughs)
2: absolutely
1: (laughs) and that painting allison did of herself i love that painting nice yeah and the goblin artwork that she did framed on the wall nice It's a print of it but still yeah
2: excellent yeah. <laughs> man it's so great to have you back on the show and uh excited to talk about goblin i, I thought yeah I, me I, too yeah man i thought i would um here's what i want to say about it i think goblin is a mesmerizing t- terrifying tightrope walk
1: <laughs> Great! You can use that I, if you want. I heard. I, 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 I will use that. There's one other person that said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to
2: so tell that story, that's got to be a good one.
1: Oh my god, it's it's almost like when people ask you, like, um, you know, is it surreal to have a movie made of Bird Box and this and yes, of course it is, isn't Sandra Bullock playing Ma- Mallory, yes, but I'm not quite sure there's anything quite as surreal as having a Clive Barker quote blurb on your book you know (laughs) and also not to get too like serious but like he's I think he's the guy that we all kind of look to or we would consider like uh with the biggest imagination right and so it's not just that he read one of my books it's that he read Goblin which to me feels I don't know like I like my own shackles were off my own imagination was running that kind of thing so it, it feels like extraordinarily like whoa you know Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you, man, I'm not blowing smoke. I, when
2: I was reading it, I, even before I saw his blurb, it felt very much like Barker to me. There was a lot of those sort of mystical uh, Lovecraftian elements to it. It just, it was just so rich. I loved it.
1: Wow. Right on. Thank you. That is amazing to hear.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I certainly don't want to, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, uh and and, and w- maybe we should try and stay around spoilers but like i couldn't wait to get to 726 rolling hills drive like i just i couldn't wait to see what <laughs> what was going to show up
1: there yeah <laughs> dude i have a crate in my room where i keep all my rough drafts and everything everything i've ever written really and it's it's like a good, i mean it's not a, it, it should look older and more evil but it's just a crate and but on the front i wrote 726 rolling hills as if like this is this is it in my office. This is the thing, you know. Um, here's a weird side note that, and it's almost like embarrassing to admit this. That for um, when I started the book, the town was called Rolling Hills. Oh, and and I was like, and I'm like, rolling the Rolling Hills Zoo, the Rolling Hills, and then I'm like, wait a minute, this this doesn't even sound like a suburb. This sounds like a subdivision. Like, what am I talking about? And um, in conversation, the word goblin came up I don't know how how naturally that word ever comes up but it did come up naturally in a conversation and I was like "Ooh, that's it that's it that's the name of the city and then um the girl the girl at the time she was like uh what are you talking about I'm like no no that's it goblin that's the name of the town and it changed everything for me this all happened like really early like I'm talking page you know five of the first proper novella or something I was like okay wait a minute I got it now And what happened there was once, I already knew a sense of the place, but once I had its name, it became, Goblin became the main character. And in the second that was established, it was like the shackles were off. It was the most liberating thought because then think about it, you could have anything happen in Goblin and the main character is still here, anything. And you're getting to know the character better through its uh, citizens, through its uh, locals. So it, once that town was named and I had a sense of it, it was like anything goes, any story you can go in here. Wow.
2: Well, t- yeah. t- take us into that process a little bit. Uh, uh, kind of lay out what what is Goblin? How did you come up with the concept? What was it like writing it uh, different from other projects you've worked on?
1: Well, a few things. I think that, um, first of all, I think that really what I guess would – differentiate Goblin, maybe from a neighboring city, is that, all, is that all the Gobliners are obsessed in some way or another. They're, there's obsession just running through every freaking story. And if you think about it, like um, they, characters might appear to be opposites. Like let's take Walter Camp, who's, he was, I don't know if an author should say this, but he's my favorite part of the book because he's the ultimate Gobliner. He's totally haunted by nothing, by the way, but he's totally haunted and meanwhile, absolutely enamored, obsessed with the history of the town of what it haunts him, really. So he in a way is like rattled to the point where if you or I walked in and clapped our hands, he, would, he might fall to pieces, right? But meanwhile, his story is followed by Neil Nash, who is the most like gregarious, like monstrously decadent, you know, big game hunter, like super wealthy, meatcake. I'm gonna break goblin's one rule I'm gonna bag a great owl and, and so where you, whereas you have the horror and like sort of cowering um in, in the shadow of goblin of Walter camp then you have like the like the, the the bold masculine I'm gonna plow right through it but both of them are equally reacting to goblin itself so it's not like one is right or one is even more brave necessarily they're both Hooked on Goblin, whether they realize it or not, and so I think that between those two, and um, Wayne Sherman's like grief obsession with building a, a monument to his wife, um, and I guess you can argue Roman Emperor's obsession with magic, or maybe it's more Pete's obsession with Roman Emperor because Pete's the Gobliner and Roman's not, and and finally the most tragic to me figure um, is Dirk, the the zookeeper, because. This guy, he's just not smart enough to understand. Like, he's not smart enough to understand what he's dealing with here. Whereas Camp is smart enough and maybe that, you know, in the in, in a way that intellectualizing something too far can be a problem, maybe he's that. And Nash is obviously intelligent, but like, you know, uh, uh, what's the right word? Whatever, evil. <laughs> but Dirk Rogers is, he doesn't mean any harm, man. And he's just kind of like, like trudging through life, but he is equally pressed down and affected by goblins. So I think that if I had to pick a word that ran through the entire novel, it would be obsession, or the entire book, it would be obsession. And then real fast, to answer the other half of your question in terms of the, how is this different? The, the, the novella collection idea is super liberating as well, because now you're in a position where you don't feel as a writer, that you have to necessarily maintain a singular mood throughout an entire book. And again, Goblin the City did that for me or does that for me. So now, Camp's story can be like frantic. Nash's story can be brash. Dirk's story can be like sludgy and tragic. Wayne's can be sad, but like, you know, uh, what's the word, Um, inspired. And those are all dramatically different tones that I can use because we're going from novella to novella. So I, I actually I want to do another book like this. And maybe whether that's a return to goblin, I just pictured like a return to goblin, like camp with his hair blowing back, like on like like holding onto a palm tree. <laughs> um, like a return a return to goblin, or or whether it's um another city or whatever it might be, but there's something seriously liberating about the novella collection.
2: Did you have to sell the idea to your agent or to your publisher?
1: Well, it's actually interesting. So goblin is, I, you've heard, I've told you this story before about how I was contacted from that friend from high school. Um, and he, uh, asked if I had something to send a lawyer that he knew that represented, this is all, you know, back when I had like 10 books and, and, uh, no agent or nothing. I hadn't shopped anything all those days. And, I went through the stack of like 10 books and I, f- this is the, you're gonna laugh. I insanely thought, well, this one has six different stories. If I send the lawyer this one, if he doesn't like the first story, maybe he'll like the second one. If he doesn't like the second, maybe one in here. You know, that's not how it works, right. but that's, I didn't know better. So I sent my friend Goblin, a really rough draft of, of Goblin. And um, he, that's, Goblin's the book that got me, my lawyer and manager and then with them is when I brought up let's rewrite bird box to, to shop to Kristen. Ah. So, so goblin was actually in a sense, the the book that opened any door for me.
2: Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it, did it just organically evolve into a collection of novellas or
1: did you plan that? So I knew, I knew, I didn't quite know how long the stories were going to be. I knew I wanted a sort of Winesburg, Ohio, um, uh you know a spotlight on each on a number of different like locals in this town. I knew that. Again, I didn't have the details of Goblin. I didn't have the name. I didn't have um I didn't like I didn't know uh Wayne Sherman at all yet when I started. I didn't know even Walter. I didn't know. I I had a sense of um I had read a book <laughs> uh are we allowed to like swear and stuff? Yeah, like you or? can swear. I can say something, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can say something dirty because I so I had read a book by um, Henry Miller, where and he's you know foul mouth dude you know, and he had a book called Crazy Cock, and in in his book he talks about how he was walking by a bookstore and he saw a book called A Man in Slices, and he and in he in the book says he's like man that's a good title I called mine Crazy Cock. <laughs> Like, I should have called mine a man in slices. <laughs> so that was, I knew, I had written somewhere like, you know, short story, a man in slices. Like, use that title that he was enamored with. That's, I didn't know why I liked that or something. And that led, I knew, so I knew the first story and I had a sense that we were going to much darker places after that first story or more, let's say, richer places after the first story. But that's all, that's really it. And and the original list had something like, I think it had 10 Novellas in mind, but when I got to number five, um, and the rough draft was over 500 pages, I was like, I, I'm i not gonna write a thousand page book, called, the, you know, about this city, am I? And, I? and I was like, no, no, this is fine. And then a year later, I added Dirk. I just felt like there was just one element missing in the entire novel that was a little bit more like it wasn't his fault, it was someone swept up in Goblin rather than actively reacting to it someone more just like a casualty of goblin and i felt like dirk was i needed him or something
2: okay so are are you you dip in and out of projects you work on multiple projects at the same time no not normally so i thought
1: i thought goblin was done and that's a good question i would have asked you the same if this was uh reversed (laughs) because no not really it's like i thought it was done and then you know you're oh well this is a bit interesting because in for me anyway because the Dirk story has dream sequences that are present tense, italicized. Not really any, um, you know, care paid to um, uh, gram, not grammar, uh, punctuation. There's no like uh, quotation marks and this and that and things run on. And at the end of writing the Dirk dream sequences, I said to myself, like, man, a whole novel like this would be fun. And immediately after the Dirk story, I wrote Bird Box. And the rough draft of Bird Box is all italicized, all present tense, no care for uh, exclamation point, or I mean uh, quotation marks and whatever. So Dirk, that story, which is, I don't mean to say this either, it's kind of like my least favorite actually, but that story had a profound effect on me because it finished Goblin and balanced that out for me and inspired the style, the writing of Bird Box for me. So that was a, Dirk. yeah, a mix-up at the zoo was was a moment for me. That is so
2: interesting. I didn't realize you went all Cormac McCarthy on your your first draft of Bird Box.
1: Oh, yeah, dude, literally, the entire thing's in italics. Yeah, (laughs) that's also like a Faulkner, yeah, Cormac McCarthy, like that sort of. You know, you would read that stuff and you'd be like, it's just naturally nightmarish. Like anything can happen in these italics and it seems like weighted or something. Yeah. Yeah. That is nuts. I love it. I'm getting off there so it doesn't beep again for me. Okay. Yeah, no worries.
2: No worries. (laughs) Um I wanna ask you um a little bit about Carpenter's Farm. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh Tell us a little bit about the idea behind that um, This decision to put it on your website and um, anything, anything about it really.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, wow. I'm glad that, uh, you know, I, I don't do any interviews with Carpenter's farm. This is really exciting. <laughs> so, um, the world shuts down in like March, whatever it was, I think it was March. <clears throat> and I had planned on writing that novel in April either way. Like I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but that was the next one in, in the queue and my webmaster wrote me saying hey you know uh do you have a new free short story to put on the website you've had the same one up here forever right and i was like no i don't i don't think i really have like a short that i want to put up right now and then he's like do you want to write a new one i'm like no i want to write this novel and like i had seen online a couple a number of people saying that money was tight the world is shutting down um they were looking for uh not free books but like you know it was just obvious that money was tight and i and 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 i'm reading that and my webmaster asked me if i had a free story to put on there and i was about to write a book and it all just lined up perfectly i was like listen um todd is the webmaster todd why don't why don't we serialize this novel i'm writing i'll write it and we'll put it up for free that way you know i mean at the time i thought the pandemic was gonna last a few months yeah. you know i'll be like i was like It'll be something fun that maybe helps one person, gives them something other than, a, other than a TV show to look forward to, you know, and it doesn't cost them any money. It's, it's on the website for free, and Todd was way into this, and he designed it all, uh, had ideas for me on how to do this. So how it would work was I would write um, a chapter, and then I would like check it, have it sort of like spell checked, and then post. And then while I was writing the next one. so. I feel like it's it's about as close as you can get to writing a novel live. Like there was no outline for that book. So one of the freaky parts, as you can imagine, is when you're like halfway deep. Yeah. And you don't know exactly how it's going to end and you don't know exactly where everything's going. And meanwhile, you're doing it live. And I don't know how many, I intentionally asked Todd to leave off number of views, number of reads, um, any reviews, likes. I didn't. I just wanted it to be like, I didn't want it to be like the internet. I wanted it to be like a book that you can just experience for free right here without any, nobody saying a word to you about it. It's just here. So I didn't know how many people were paying attention, but each post that I posted about it suggested that certainly somebody was. So I was like, oh my God, I have to land this plane. I have no idea what's going to happen. And there were a few like freaky moments, but maybe one of the best, Um, moments for in my career actually is that chris campbell a musician from atlanta okay so ted grouse sent him like let me just back up one second i had put out a post saying i'm doing this book live does anyone else want to jump in like do artwork do this do that right and ted sent this musician he knew in atlanta that post chris sent me He's like hey i did a soundtrack for the first uh first three chapters and i was like oh really and he, dude before you hit play it could be anything right i mean anything and it was so good man i was like holy shit, this is like the earth of the farm the um acoustic guitar but with all this like like synth like creepy eeriness like it was just could not have been more perfect so Chris and I ended up working like hand-in-hand hand through this. I would be like, hey, I'm going to post a chapter tonight at 7. Do you, do you have new music for that chapter? Yeah, I'm, I'll have it. Or, hey, Josh, can you wait till tomorrow morning because I can add the music then? And we were really hand-in-hand. Hand. And then I want to show you this, even though and I know it's a podcast, but I'm going to show you. At least I get to see it. Is that we made a CD of it. Oh, wow. Of Chris's soundtrack. So for listeners, this is a really awesome-looking uh cd that you know mastered and sequenced and everything the original this is interesting too the original soundtrack is 76 minutes and the novel is seventy six thousand words oh i mean chris and i were just completely in tune yeah we would like zoom and we'd talk about it and this and i would send him and he'd send it back and all this stuff um and that may how do i explain this i think that he helped me get through it because when you got to this spot where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, yeah, Who cares what you're doing? We're having fun. This guy's adding music. We're putting it up, let's roll. And in the end, it's done and I'm more than happy with it. And then I don't know exactly where that book goes from here because there's a side of me, and let me ask you, like there's a side of me that feels like it should just always remain what it was and just stay there. Yeah. I just don't know. That
2: That's an interesting question, and I'm going to complicate it for you a little bit. Uh, I don't know. It, it, this is relatively recent. You may not have heard of it, but have you heard about the Vela program that Amazon's rolling out? No. All right. So the idea is they are they are setting up a platform that's sort of like Wattpad or Radish for serialized fiction through Amazon. So through your KDP dashboard, you can publish to Amazon Vela, and it's serialized fiction. It's like 1,500-word, 2,000-word chapters and, and you get, you, you self-publish and you get paid for it that way. And, uh, that, and that's what I immediately thought of when I saw Carpenter's farm is like, if you enjoyed that, I wonder what you could do on Vela. If you, if you, if you wanted to do it again oh. and
1: wrote it that way. Huh? Oh man, no, that would be amazing. Cause like for someone that writes a lot and writes often and, and now has, well, one instance of pulling that off i don't know if that's enough i don't know if that's a big enough sample size i could see doing it again and getting stuck you know you know yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but (laughs) but i did i made it that once um yeah dude i'm definitely interested in that i need to i need to look that up don't i i'll send you a
2: link when we're done talking check it out but it it, they're they're only announcing it now um they're opening up because obviously they want authors to create content for it and then they're gonna i think july is when they're gonna be looking to put it out to readers but it's this whole idea of capturing this, this serialized storytelling, you know, short little pieces that hook you, that get you to the next one. It sounds like it'd be a good fit if it's if it's something you like to do with uh, with Carpenter's Farm.
1: So they, so is the idea um, books that have never seen the light of day before, like brand new stories? Right? Yeah,
2: I think they're looking for new stuff. Like you can't just take a novel and, and chop right. it up. Like they want it written right. in that fashion. And I think it can't have been... Well, I don't, this could, this could be a great area. Like, I don't know if they would consider you having it on your website as publishing it, but like, I, I think it has to be something that hasn't been published or isn't published. But- well, it sounds like
1: fun to do one. Like my, Kristen and I talk often about, you know, all these books I have and writing new books and I, what you're describing right now could be a real outlet for me too, because um n- not in terms of chopping up the old books, but in, you know, when you sit down and write a new one, that sense of like, Hey, this is going to be out in the world. Again, it's a little freaky, but, and, and it was a little like, it felt like it was walking a, t- a high wire, you know what I mean? And, but, but, uh, yeah, cause you're, you're more uh, of a plotter, right? Well, it depends. It goes back and forth. Oh, it the, does. The, okay. The, the giant one that I wrote had, um, like the 1100 pager had landmarks galore listed and you got to have them this and this and this, but other ones have been just like completely blind. So, okay. So, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting idea, and, and I think it's going to be a whole new reading audience. And and we all know Amazon has the data, so if they're if they're rolling this out, they know there's something there, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's interesting. Wow, yeah. I, I'm definitely going to look into this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Hey, uh, I
2: I wanted to ask you about uh, we need to do something. Can you can you give us an update on that?
1: Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable. It got uh accepted to the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, congrats. Yeah, and it's the first movie that Ryan and I, Ryan Lewis is my manager for listeners. It's the first movie that Ryan and I uh, have produced as we started our production company, Spin a Black Yarn. And it is, we need to do something as the first movie that's been made that that we're producing. So there are like a number, I would say like, I think there's like 28 projects in some, some form of development. Now this ranges from set up at Netflix all the way to uh, we like the book and let's find someone to write the screen the screenplay. So I mean everything and everything in between. But it's the first one that we've had made and because we weren't well Ryan was a producer on Bird Box but I was not and following Bird Box we were like hey we 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 should be producers on all the projects from now on. And not not that we were upset that we weren't or that I wasn't because like, we understood you know Bird Box was optioned before the book even came out. Uh, like there was no chance of any leverage there, that's fine, we're, we're all fine. But moving forward, let's let's be behind this. So we started Spin a Black Yarn. And like I said, there's a number of projects, about half of those are mine and half are like other writer stuff. And we need to do something as a novella by Max Booth and a, he wrote the script as well. And it's directed by Sean O'Grady who, um, works and lives maybe three miles from where I'm sitting right now (laughs) uh, in Michigan. And it was filmed at the height of COVID in October in the uh, the sound, on the sound stage, like three miles from where I live right now, which man, it's an amazing, it's an amazing setup, man. It's this big, like open first floor space without every, you know, camera and light and gear. And just, it's just, it made you walk in there and you like, you feel like you can make any movie you want there, you know? And so they did it there Um, and now it's done and edited and and it's coming out and and the world premieres at Tribeca. I mean, we kind of can't believe it.
2: That's crazy. I mean, you guys were kind of sneaky about filming that, weren't you? You know, kind of keeping it under wraps. That's
1: all Sean because I, Max, me, well, Ryan's Ryan's like that too, but Max and I were like, can't we just tell everyone what we're doing? You know, and they're like, no, not yet. And then we'd be like, can't we just tell everyone? No, not yet. So, all right, fine. But like, I'm I'm the kind of guy that I, I, you know, I would be like, day one of shooting. Yeah. I mean, for kind I wrote a book live. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so yeah, but Sean was like, no, I want this to be under wraps. I wanna, when we present it, I want it to be done. And I remember when he said that, me thinking like, why, not in a uh, mean way, but just like, come on, let's roll. And now I get it though. Now seeing the other side of it to come out with it. And the first time you talk about it, you could actually send it to someone. Yes. You know, like the, that kind of, I understand I need to learn some of that patience, I think. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm asking from
2: ignorance. So after the, the after it debuts at the film festival, that's when you look to distribution?
1: Well, I can't talk about that side of it yet. Oh, all right. there, there, there's <laughs> announcements on that side too. Oh, great, that, uh, great, okay. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic,
2: awesome, man. Well, hey, I, I want to be respectful of your time, uh, but I do want to ask you about one more thing that I'm super curious about. Uh, what's it been like for the High Strong over the past year? How have you guys dealt with the pandemic? Oh,
1: man. I I love these questions that you got a whole... It's just been really exciting to talk about uh, Carpenter's Fire. Cool. So the High Strong, as you can imagine, I I imagine every band's going through this. Like, we couldn't get together for a year. I mean, like, what are we going to do, right? I mean, literally, talk about, uh, you know, like a a spreader event, five people in a tiny room like (laughs) screaming and singing. So we haven't played, but here's... this is a somewhat incredible thing happened. We left ourselves a present. So in 2002, we were going into the studio to record our first album. And like we had recorded a ton on our own before, you know, through the years, but we we're going to a studio with a real producer and a label and all this, this is like to the O2. And it, this album ends up coming out in 3 But we were at home, we, we back then we sort of like live, we did live on the road and stuff. And we were home for the six weeks prior to the going into the studio. We're in the Detroit area. I was staying at our parents' house and stuff. And a few weeks before making These Are Good Times, we were all kind of like, you know, we're all here. Our gear's here. Let's, Let's just, let's record another album before we go in the studio and make that album. All right. Sounds like lunacy right now. But at the time it was like, we're here, we're all here. So we made this album we put it away, we go and we make the real one in the studio, it comes out, it's in Rolling Stone, we're touring for it, we're on a label, then we make the next album and so forth and blah, blah, blah. So the thing that we made just prior to our first studio proper album kind of got swept up in the in a career arc, right? And years later, in the same way that everyone's going through old photos oh. and old books and old whatever here, because you're home, our bass player wrote us the other day, he's like, have you guys listened to Hannah lately? Or not the other day, this is months ago now. Have you guys listened to Hannah lately? And that's the album. And we're like, no, I haven't listened to Hannah. And he's like, "Yeah, I think you guys need to. And it it really might be the best album we've ever done. Wow. And it was this thing that we just did loosely on our own prior to getting real serious or whatever. So we bust that out, we dust it off, we sent it to a label that is gonna be putting it out in October. And it's being remixed and remastered now. And because of that, we're writing new songs and talking about a new, recording something new in July. Um, So in a bizarre way, in a bizarre way, it's almost like the lockdown and being forced to kind of like take stock of what we already have has has become like more fuel for us than if we were playing all the time. Now we have a new, like a net, well, new quote unquote new album coming out in October And we're talking about making another one, which as of May 1st, I think we're all going to like hang out together and show each other what songs we have and stuff like that because we're going to be vaccinated. So the answer is, haven't seen each other at all and got like a ton done. Wow.
2: Now, did you (laughs) guys, uh, did you uh, overdub or retrack
1: anything? Are those the tracks you guys laid down? So the drummer on one song, um, I I played the solo on this one song and he was like, don't you think maybe we need a better solo here? And then we we. (laughs) The drummer saying we that all, to you, I love it. Yeah, we were all like, I I know what you mean, Derek, but I don't think we should go in like that. I, if it was like really bad, like if there was something like, man, this vocal is like embarrassing, but the song's good, like maybe then let's fix this. It, it, it was, it was, it's, it, I feel like if we open that door we're really opening a door and let's just leave it what it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you go down that yeah, rabbit hole and where's it up. end, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. Totally, dude.
2: All right, guys, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> you have
0: interviewed this dude so many times now that he knew he thought you were in a different room. I know.
2: I know. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great dynamic, but it's very different because so many of our guests I'm meeting for the first time, and Josh is like an old friend now. And so it, it, it changes the conversation in really interesting ways.
3: Yeah, well, he um, Goblin is a, a great book. I, I had fun reading that one, and and it's it's I, he didn't go into the history of it, but I know it was released before, like on a very very limited basis, and and now it's with um, Del Rey, um, so you know it's it's going out wide, but um, it's a series of novellas all put together, you know, telling a, a similar story or a story that ties in, and that that's something I haven't seen in a long
2: time, and I I, I really enjoyed it. I did too, and and I if I have this correct, I think goblin was what he used to get Kristen that's what he said I think right
3: yeah. yeah it's always very surreal listening to Josh talk because we both kind of live in the same you know the, the, like we have we have the same agent we've got the same film agent the same guy des- designed both of our websites um so it's it's a little weird but yeah he he originally submitted goblin or that's the one that he was working on and then then he wrote bird box and like I've heard the stories of bird box from Kristen like you know the whole thing was in italics like there's no punctuation and no you know no quotations like it was just like a giant block of of italic text um, but at the same time I kind of get where he's coming from I'm like I, you know, when I write in first person, I write first person in italics and I don't know why, but like, that's the only way I'm able to actually pull it off. And then I just, I change it to, you know, a regular font after the fact. Um, but there's something just different about italics that it, your brain goes into a different
0: gear when you use that. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very, very interesting. I mean, he's just such a, he's, he's a very eccentric individual and you know, it's funny, it's funny to say this cause you know, we've had him on podcast a couple times and I've gotten to talk to him a couple times, but like Josh is one of my favorite authors. I mean, Bird Box is like one of my top three favorite books, you know, and, and he, I tell you what's really interesting about Josh to me. And and maybe this is more common than, than I'm about to say it is, but I never hear anyone talk about this, but I think it's really interesting how he like wrote all these books before he got picked up. And it's, I know he's writing new stuff, but I know he's also gone back into these like piles and he's like, well, I'm just going to pick something out from here and he's, you know, some stuff's turned into novels, some things have turned into screenplays, and I think it's really interesting how he's been able to like, like almost leverage a backlist that no one knows about, if that makes sense. Like he's able to go and all this stuff that he's, he's, uh, he's already written and and use it in all these different ways, and and because I know he said that with Goblin, like Goblin was one of those where he had, where he it was just in his stack or in that the chest or whatever he has that he has all <laughs> the, the manuscripts crate. in that crate, yeah. And I I don't know like again maybe that's more common and people just don't talk about it but i've heard him talk about that multiple times i just think that's really interesting
3: i've run into a couple of people that are kind of do that but you know for josh it was because he was touring with the band you know and if if you've ever yeah. been in a band or anything like that you you spend way more time on the road than you actually do playing your your instrument yeah, so he, absolutely. yeah he was in the back of the van and he just you know he passed the time by by writing and you know before you know it you've got you know whatever he's got 500 novels sitting there in that that crate you know behind his his desk at this point um i, I think uh, king calls them trunk novels so I'd some point if he goes dry he can always reach back there and and pull something out and and see where it goes Um, I I just like the fact that he doesn't shy away from trying something different you know like he's he's constantly challenging himself you know nobody's no nobody's putting that guy in a box you know like even Carpenter's Farm you know like that was just so out out of left field you know, the, 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 book itself and the way that he wrote it, putting it out, you know, I mean, books have been put out on websites before, but like he, you know, he's in a place where, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to do that because, you know, he could sell that book. He's got an agent, he's got a publisher. Um, but instead he chose to just put it out on the website just to try it, just to see how it goes. And like that to me, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. And I think too, like tying, um, tying into what Zach said, he, he has this he has this approach across all of his cre- his creative outlets. I mean, I was fascinated by the fact that the high strung went back and grabbed tracks from 2002 and they're going to put that out and like and he was pretty adamant that they were not going to like overdub or retrack or like recut things. Like they're going to use those tracks from 2002 for a new album and I think it's it's just a great it's a great lesson I think for all of us creatives that that you can have, you can put yourself in that position as long as you're producing stuff. If you're in the chair and you're writing words, even if you don't do anything with them right away, you never know when you might be able to go back and use those for something else. But if you're not in the chair writing or doing the work, then you don't have any of those options.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's obviously been been working his butt off, and I'm pretty sure he's he's writing every waking moment where he's you know not playing in the in the band. He's he's constantly doing something. Um, yeah, fascinating guy.
0: Now he's making movies. Yeah, <laughs> making
3: movies. <laughs> yeah, it's just,
0: he's, he's doing, and he's, it's kind of cool, I admire it. He's kind of doing what he wants. You know, he's writing the books he wants. He's making these movies. He's got his music. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's just it's awesome. And it's, re- it's really cool to see. And, uh, you know, it's just, wish him all the best because it's obviously such a cool dude. So, yeah,
2: you know. Yeah, fantastic conversation as always with him. I- I'm sort of secretly hoping that uh, at some point uh, in the near future, I could go up to Michigan and check out that, that studio where they filmed that movie. Cause it's, I don't think he's that far from me. And it, it sounds, it sounds pretty amazing. So have, have you ever s- been in a studio? No, no, not, oh, okay. I mean, I, I took some tours when we were in LA, but like, not like a working studio. Yeah,
3: it's very, very weird. I, I think the strangest one I've ever been in was the, the set for True Blood. Um, a friend of mine was the producer on that. And, like, we went into Suki Stackhouse's house, you know, inside of the, the, the warehouse where it was actually built. And, like, the stairs didn't actually go anywhere. Like, they just went up the <laughs> wall. And, like, there's a door there, but there's nothing on the other side of that door. And, like, if you walk through the, the kitchen, you end up in, in Bill's office, you know, like in a totally different set. And that that's the strangest part about all of it, like how they're able to take this complete piecemeal thing and, and turn it into something cohesive that actually makes sense when they put it on film. Nice.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, so once the pandemic issues mandates are lifted maybe that'll be a trip north for me at some point so
0: and i think he's he it sounds like you're you've got him interested in being uh that he's probably going to be in the number one bestseller on vela on vela i know <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> he you could see you could hear his like his he was churning
3: on
2: yeah, that yeah we, we had a short conversation afterwards about vela i wouldn't be surprised if he tries something on vela
3: yeah well that's yeah. a good outlet for him
2: yeah Absolutely. yeah for sure yep so jd who's up next week
3: oh i'm, I'm gonna give you a little hint all right uh,
2: could you hear that? No.
3: Oh, you can't hear it? <laughs> no. Man, I had well, it all That was a popcorn
0: up. fart if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I
3: Jeez. was all excited thinking I was going to come in with cool special effects. So that was the theme song to Family Ties. I don't know if you... Uh, we'll you, just have our
0: producer put it in.
3: Yeah, maybe our producer can yeah, that drop Brady's, it on in there. Put that in there. <laughs> come on, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now that that fell flat, <laughs> um, next week's guest is Justine Bateman.
2: Wow. Yes.
3: Yeah. Flash from the past. So uh, when I, when I was a kid, you know, like I think every boy, you know, my age wanted to marry Alyssa. Milano well, our age, and, not uh, our, age. our age. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and if we couldn't get Alyssa Milano like Justine Bateman was like next on deck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she, always she, second fiddle, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, Alyssa
0: Milano was like, we yeah, by the time I was <laughs> thought she was hot. So. I'm
3: I'm pretty sure I would still hop in the car if Alyssa Milano called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, Justine Bateman, I mean, Family Ties, that was one of those shows I think everybody tuned in back in the day and, and watched every single week. And, you know, not that you had much of a choice because there were only three networks, but, you know, it, it was on for like an insane number of years. And Michael J. Fox came out of there and, and her and, um, yeah, and she's got a, a book out, um, which is a fascinating thing just to hear that, that side of her life. Um, and I, I believe it's just about women aging in, in Hollywood and just the, the pressure of all that. And that's, you know, something that's not
2: really talked about a whole lot, but it, it should be. It is. Yeah, and it's an important book, and uh, I'm really curious to talk to her about it. I think it might be her second book. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's called Face, but it, it definitely has yeah. – it, it's about this idea of aging and specifically the pressure that women face. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be a relevant and interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and
0: leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.